We come to the last of the messages I have been preaching to you regarding Romans 12, 1 and 2. In the last two messages in this series, we've been talking about the issue of the cultivation and development of the Christian mind. This is taken from Paul's words in Romans 12, 2 which speak of the transformation of the Christian by the renewing of his mind. And I've been encouraging you to consider the monumental importance of thinking and how each Christian must, must pursue this spiritual transformation and its appropriateness toward God and for the benefit of your Christian life. And I want you to know that the challenge that I've been giving you has not gone unheeded in my own life. As I stated last week, the urgent task of evaluating my own thinking, while it has been painful, is nevertheless needful if I'm going to make right decisions for the, th- for the sake of thinking clearly and beneficially for myself and for others around me. Let me give you an indication of some of the latest thinking thinking that I've been doing about my own life and especially my own busy schedule. I think this is something that all of us should do and we should always, especially as we come into a new year, try to assess where we are and where we're going and what, if any, changes are necessary for that new year. And I've attempted through family and friends and colleagues to think through the possibility of my being too busy for all the things that I've been asked to do, whether at home or in the ministry here or even elsewhere. I haven't made a decision yet on each and every one of the ministries of which I'm currently involved, but I have actually made decisions on some of them. Listen to the following letter, which I've edited, of course, for our purposes here because they were somewhat personal letters that I have sent out which represents the essence of what I've written to some of the ministries for which I've been associated with, some of them over several years, and how I am pulling back from some of those ministries for the sake of my own time and energy, and that based upon my desire to think through the calling and the obligations in my own Christian life. Here's what I wrote. Dear ministry leader, it is with a heavy heart that I write to you, You are welcome to distribute my email of resignation to each member of the board so that they can better hear my heart on the matter. As I mentioned to you on the phone, I have contemplated and prayed about resigning for quite a while now. Presently, I am serving on six boards for various ministries, including my own board of elders here at the Bible Church of Little Rock. I think the time has come for me to pull back on the amount of ministry obligations and opportunities I have been privileged to serve, including my board involvements, as well as many outside speaking engagements and conferences. The reason I'm on so many boards in the first place is because of all of the personal relationships the Lord has allowed me to benefit from over the years. These relationships have allowed a phenomenal number of fantastic preachers and speakers to in turn come and minister to us at the Bible church. You are all very precious to me and I don't want to hurt any of you by stepping away from what the Lord is doing in your ministries. Please don't take my resignation as a commentary on any of you or your ministries. I respect each of you very highly and I am grateful for the years of mutual fellowship and sharpening. I will continue to count all of you as my dear friends, as well as sweet sources of joy and love. However, the time has come for me to concentrate more specifically on the ministries I have here. I don't believe I've neglected anything here, whether it is at home or church, but there is a limit, and I think I've reached it. In February of 2007, my daughter Lauren turns 13. And with this birthday, I will have five teenagers in my home from age 19 down to 13 with three more little ones underneath them. My wife, as well as some of the men here, 
are of the opinion that I'm too busy. I am desirous of listening to them and being sensitive to their counsel. The challenges for time and effort are especially acute in the area of travel and being away from home too much. Time is also eaten up even when I'm here with all the outside calls, meetings, emails, decision-making, and all the rest. So I must conclude that these precious lives, beginning first with my wife and then with my eight kids, and then with my large flock, are important enough for me to step away from every outside ministry that I possibly can, so as to be singularly focused on my duties here as husband, father, and pastor to my own local flock. My three athletic sons, and also some very good basketball-playing daughters, are always having important games that I don't want to miss. While I know that I cannot make all of them, I want to make most of them. Time away, especially in ministry travel, makes these opportunities very difficult, and I desire to see these kids excel in every way, especially spiritually, but also physically. I'm not resigning for any other reasons than what I'm mentioning to you in this letter. Let me assure you that I am not close to being disqualified from the ministry or that I have marital issues or that my kids are unruly or anything of the sort. In all these ways and more, I am not only not struggling, but am most blessed and wholly undeserving of the grace I've received from the Lord. I'm simply attempting to refocus my energies on the things I'm responsible to do here. With the advent of the Expositor Seminary opening, Lord willing, in the fall of 2007 as our own church-based ministry of theological education, and with my responsibilities as a fellow shepherd here at BCLR, I first want to be faithful to both my own home and church. If I have anything left over, I will devote it to what the elders here can affirm for my outside involvement and impact whether that be with writing, preaching, teaching, and or serving on ministry boards. I'm probably not going to be resigning from all six boards, but I'm drastically reducing the number of them so as to concentrate on my calling as a husband and dad and as the pastor-teacher of the Bible Church of Little Rock. Serving in various other ministries which could take me away from Little Rock more frequently will need to, if need be, take place in future years with my kids eventually gravitating out of the home. For now, though, I'm content to support you men and your ministries in prayer and love, even if at a distance. I hope I don't lose touch with any of you. I will do my best to call you and return calls from you both now and in the future. I love you all and will ask our Heavenly Father to continue to bless your individual ministries and your churches for your good and his glory, your friend Lance Quinn. I've been doing a lot of thinking about that, and I want to assure you of my commitment of being the pastor-teacher of the Bible Church of Little Rock. And my commitment is deep, and my commitment is profound because it comes out of thinking about the very calling that I have received from, from the Lord and having received some very positive responses back from some of these men. I have been heartened by their encouragements, even though difficult, I'm sure, because of our ministry relationships and all that they've asked me to do to help them in their ministries. I know they understand. And I would appreciate your prayers as I spend time thinking through the implications of all these things and the rest of the decisions that I need to make. I genuinely don't want to upset people. I don't want to damage relationships. I don't want to cause important ministries to be heard in any way. But I do, however, want to make the best decisions that I can in any way that I can. Underneath, of course, always the banner of pursuing the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I guess what I'm saying is I'm committing myself and all of my thinking and decision-making to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And while I'm open to helping other ministries within the greater body of Christ in whatever way I possibly can, I want to think through how best to do that. And in order to do that, it takes a great deal of pondering and meditating and contemplating and focusing upon your calling and your tasks. And this is why, my friends, over the last couple of weeks, I've attempted to focus our collective efforts on what it means 
this matter of the transformation of the Christian through the renewing of their minds. And as you know, we've been focusing our efforts upon the New Testament. And now for this final message, I want to go through some limited portions of the Old Testament so that we may continue to focus in this final message on the transformation of the heart and mind through this renewing process and even what the Old Testament says about this very thing. Of course, differences in terms of the ministry of the Holy Spirit between the Old and New Covenants. But nevertheless, the Old Testament is a wealth of information. I told you last time the Hebrew word lave and nephesh and other related words and family of words tell us what it is that the Old Testament is prompting us to do about understanding this concept of the mind or the heart or the life or the soul or the immaterial part of man. And even as we look at passages that will tell us both about believers and unbelievers and about the use and misuse of the mind and the heart, I think very, very instructive for us. So I want you, if you will, to turn with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter six. And I want to go through very quickly, as quickly as I can, these passages that are so very instructive for us regarding, again, this matter of the mind, the heart, the will, the conscience, the soul, all of the immaterial aspects of man's makeup. And I want you to flow with me through these passages very, very quickly as we prepare our hearts also to receive the Lord's Supper, to talk and focus in upon your own thinking and your own mind and possibly even decisions that you need to make for your own life. Now, again, I'm not going to break these up in categories like I have in terms of the New Testament because of our limited time. I'm just going to race through some of these passages with you that will hopefully be a flood of evidence from the Bible about both the use and misuse of the mind and of thinking and of the heart. Genesis chapter 6. Look at this profound statement in verse 5. This, of course, was in the context of wickedness occurring on the earth and in the immediate context, great wickedness between the daughters of men and the Nephilim. Verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Folks, that's a mouthful. Think of all of those what I call 100% words. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every only continually. That is a sad commentary on the misuse of the mind. Even to the point, verse 6 says, And the Lord was sorry that He made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. And then, of course, one man, one family, Noah, finding favor in the eyes of the Lord. One family. Principally related to the leadership of one man out of all of the families of the earth who were extant at that time. That's an amazing commentary. So much so that the Lord said, I'm so grieved that I'm going to blot out not just man, which, of course, if you think about it, for his creation of man, for him then to annihilate man is an amazing thing related, of course, to the grief in his heart about the sinfulness of man through the intention of the thoughts of his heart being only evil continually. And he will be so grieved that he will not just wipe out from the face of the earth all of the men and women of the earth, but also the animals and the creeping things and the birds of the, heaven, of the heavens. Amazing. The commentary here about the mind, about thinking, about the intentions of the, th the thoughts and how shot through with wickedness it really was. Look at verse 11. The earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh. 
For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Interesting way of translating it. I will destroy them with the earth. I created the earth. I created them. Now I'm going to destroy them with the earth. With the flood, of course. Amazing. Look at chapter 8. Verse 20. Of course, the flood subsided and Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in His heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. But notice this. The heart of man didn't change necessarily for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Another credible divine commentary on the heart of man. Even though, look at the grace of God, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. That, my friends, is grace. It's certainly not because mankind has learned to become better and better in his heart, right? Not at all. This is, this is an amazing commentary. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I'm just going to sweep through these passages looking again at aspects related to the mind, the heart, the thinking, the life, the soul, and how important this thinking is to develop this Christian mind of ours. Chapter 4, verse 1, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you. Notice the listening. That's the thinking capacity. It goes in the ear gate and you're supposed to ruminate on it. Listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Notice, it's also bound up with the land again, the earth again. You do these evil deeds, I'm going to destroy you with the earth. You do righteous deeds, I'm going to bless you with the earth. You can till the earth. You can farm. You can have your sustenance. Verse 2, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you held fast to the Lord your God and are alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding. You see the mind there in the sight of all the peoples who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Why are they wise and understanding? Because they did what the Lord told them to do. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care, Moses says, and keep your soul diligently. There's the mind again. Keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And look at chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. Verse 17. This is at the end of this great book. And Moses is giving them the choice of life and death. And he says, verse 15, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by the loving of the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Almost like the same kind of verbiage. Verse 17, but if your heart turns away... And you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You'll not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter 
and possessed. And then he even says with this mighty witnessing, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God. It's like our Matthew 22, isn't it? Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Here it's loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, and holding fast to Him, for He is your life, and He is your length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. We're moving into 2007. He is the Lord of our life, and He is the Lord of the length of our days. Joshua 24. Joshua coming to the end of his ministry of leadership. And he gives a similar kind of choose you whom this day you will serve kind of preaching. Chapter 24, verse 14. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. That fantastic, memorable passage, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And notice the response of the people, verse 16. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. I mean, it sounds good, doesn't it? Far be it from us to do that. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out, drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore also we will serve the Lord, for He is our God. Sounds good. Sounds like a resolute heart. Sounds like commitment. Sounds like they have their minds focused on the right things. Verse 19, But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, here's his warning, he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. In other words, if these are the consequences, I'm telling you, we're going to serve the Lord. If that's what's going to befall us, we want our sins forgiven. We want to do the right thing. Verse 22, then Joshua said to the people, Just like Moses, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. You know what he's doing? He's setting up a court scene and he's saying, here's the witness. The witness is, I've heard you say it. You've said it in your own presence. And I'm telling you, this is a witness to you today that if you forsake this, then this is the judgment that will befall you. He said, verse 23, then put away the foreign gods that are among you. And here it is. And incline your heart to the Lord. The God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and His voice we will obey. So He made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And even wrote those words in the book of the law of God. And He took a large stone and He set it up there under the terebinth. And it was by the sanctuary of the Lord. It was this, this witnessing tool. He says even in verse 27, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all of the words of the Lord that He spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. You might say, well, that's sort of from the negative vantage point. I mean, they're saying, we will do it. We will do it. You would almost think that as their leader, as their shepherd, as their guide, he'd say, okay, you said you'd do it. That's good. Praise God. You're going to do it. What does he do? He knows the heart of man. Knows his own heart. He says, I'm witnessing against you this day that if you commit to these things, if you say it out of your mouth, if you say that's where my mind is focused, that's where my commitment lies, then if you don't follow through on this, disaster will come. It will be actually, your words, a witness against you. Lest lest you deal falsely with your God. I guess that means that words are very important, right? So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. It's amazingly important, crucial. First Kings chapter 8. 
I'm telling you, you sweep through these things and you see over and over and over again the emphasis on the mind, the heart, the thinking, the commitment of your words which reveal your actions. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 35 This is uh, Solomon's prayer of dedication for the temple. When heaven, he says, speaking to the people, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they, the people, have sinned against you, if they pray, Lord, toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. And if there's a famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and stretching out his hands toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each each, listen to this, whose heart you know, Lord, according to all his ways, for you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to your fathers. The Lord knows the heart. He knows what our thinking is. He knows where our commitments lie, even going past the words that we sometimes give. Right to the heart of the matter. And there is, again, blessing for obedience, cursing for disobedience. Look at chapter 11 of this same book. The man who just prayed a prayer like that. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. That's incredible. He just prayed this dedicatory prayer, and then he turns right around and listen to the divine commentary about him. He loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. What's the next phrase? Solomon clung to these in love. His heart turned away from the Lord. He had 700 wives. That's not wise. I thought he had sense. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Verse 6, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. And he left some high places for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded The Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant yet for the sake of David. Why? Because David served the whole heart. Your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of your hand and the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom because God always keeps His promises. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, for the sake of Jerusalem that I've chosen. Why? So that Messiah could come through that line. And even verse 14 says, the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon. Hey, Dad, the Edomite. Very serious. First Chronicles 28. This, this matter of the mind and the heart and your thinking about your God is incredibly important, eternally important. 
This is David's own charge to Solomon. Verse 9, 1 Chronicles 28. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve Him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. Boy, this is probably the greatest statement in all the Old Testament about this aspect of the mind. Gathering up all these words for the immaterial part of man. Whole heart, willing mind. The Lord searches all hearts, understands every plan, every thought. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. One chapter over. Chapter 29, look at verse 10. David prays himself in the midst of the assembly. He blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And he said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of, our, uh, of, of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. He's praying this wonderful prayer. But he says, verse 14, But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? It's another mind word. It's another action word. For all things come from you and your own have we given you. And of your own have we given you, for we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow. That's the idea again as we go into 2007. Life is like a shadow. It's here and then it's gone. There's no abiding. Verse 16, O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart. And have pleasure in uprightness. The Lord wants us thinking clearly. He tests our hearts. We don't test Him. He tests us. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. If you gave a moment ago, and if the Lord is to bless it, it is because you gave freely, willingly. This is amazing. Second Chronicles chapter 12. Just sweeping through the Old Testament. This is a plundering of Jerusalem. Rehoboam is on the throne. It's not, not good. He was strong. It says, chapter 12 verse 1, but he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. Not good. So, verse 9 Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away the shields of gold that Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept the door of the king's house. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard came and carried them and brought them back to the guard room. And when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to make a complete destruction. Moreover, conditions were good in Judah. So King Rehoboam grew strong in Jerusalem and reigned. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Namah, the Ammonite. And he did evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. And these acts of Rehoboam were, were all written down. His, his heart was evil. Look at chapter 19. You just run through the, the kings of Israel, the, the reigning leaders, Jehoshaphat, many good things, some bad things. He was king of Judah, returned in safety to, to his house in Jerusalem. Verse 3, Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asherahs out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. That's a, that's a good thing. Verse 7, Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, 
For there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality or taking bribes. And Jehoshaphat appointed certain Levites and priests and heads of families of Israel to give judgment for the Lord and to, dis- to decide disputed cases. Verse 9, And he charged them, Thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord, in faithfulness and with your whole heart. Chapter 20, going right into the next chapter, verse 3, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Verse 12, he says, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And what does the Lord do? He gave them victory, even with their just standing around. Verse 29, And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the country when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Why? Because he was trying to fear the Lord. He was trying to honor the Lord. Verse 32, He walked in the way of Asa his father and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord But notice this, verse 33, the high places, remember Solomon, not really destroying those. The high places, however, were not taken away and the people had not yet set their hearts upon the God of their fathers. It must be this way. You have to do what God says. You have to set your heart upon Him. Even verse 35, this Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, joined with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted wickedly. He joined him in building ships to go to Tarshish. And they built the ships in Ezion-Geber. Then Eliezer, the son of Dadhavau of Merishah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have joined with Azariah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. And the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. Yes, there are times when you set your heart upon the Lord and do what He says and you will be blessed. But if you take your heart and if you move it away from the Lord, you will be punished. Ezra, chapter 7. The next book, Ezra 7. This is a faithful Ezra the scribe. Yes, there are those who use and misuse the mind. Here's a faithful scribe, a faithful proclaimer of the Word of God. This is a great text Chapter 7, there was the reign of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Zariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, goes on to describe his lineage. And he went up from Babylonia, of course, captivity. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, verse 6, that the Lord of God, the Lord God of Israel had given him. And the king granted him all that he'd asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and temple servants. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the month he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. And then this great verse, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach His statutes and rules in Israel. Set His heart. He set His face like flint to know the law of God, to know the Word of God, to study it, to memorize it, to teach it. If you look at the sweet psalmist of Israel, Psalm 14, this is... Again, the misuse of the mind or the heart. Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand. There's our word. Who seek after God. They've all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There is none who does good. Not even one. Chapter 44. This should, this should pound into our own minds. 
the need to develop a Christian mind. Psalm 44, verse 14. Sons of Korah, speaking about the fact that it appears as though they're not receiving the blessing of the Lord. He says, you've made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All this has come upon us. But he says, verse 17, trying to appeal to God, though we have not forgotten you and we've not been false to your covenant, our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. And the Lord will bless. The Lord knows the heart. He'll know what's going on. If that's true, He'll reward May not always be in the apparent circumstances of life, but he'll ultimately do so. Chapter 62, verse 5. David's psalm. God alone, O my soul. Psalm 62, 5. Wait in silence. My hope is from him. He's only my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. O God, on God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Psalm 78. This is talking about rebellion again. The misuse of the mind. Look at verse 8. They should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Verse 17, they sinned still more against Him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. And the Lord judged them. He was full of wrath, according to verse 21. Verse 32, in spite of all this, in spite of all this blessing that He gave them, He gave them, in some senses, what they craved, and they still sinned, verse 32. Despite His wonders, they did not believe. So He made their days vanish like a breath, and their years in terror. Look at Psalm 119. Verse 111, the psalmist says, Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. And then listen to verse 112, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. That's why Psalm 139 is so precious to so many because verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42 speaks again to this. Israel's failure to hear and see. Hear you deaf. Look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send, who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord. He sees many things, but he does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to save, restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned, in whose ways they would not walk and in whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It, anger, set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned them up, but he did not take it to heart. Now I know what we're all saying, thinking. Boy, with all of that judgment and all of that wrath and all of that fury, who, who wouldn't take it to heart? Well, we know the answer to that question. Just examine your own heart. We're precious little different. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, that famous passage. We're close to being done. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, 
Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. See, you you have to take your heart and turn it toward the Lord. Why? Because that's the only way to go. Verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and I, the Lord, test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The mind is so incredibly important. You can look at Daniel chapter 10, Haggai chapter 1. Zechariah chapter 7, all the way to the last book in our canonical Old Testament, Malachi 2. All of them saying so very many similar things. My friends, this is not even the the scratching of the surface for the need for us to take our minds and trust the Lord with them and do biblical things. Thinking. Let me encourage you as we close. Let me encourage you. Here's practical application of this as we go into 2007. Available today, both in the lobby and with one of our elders, Kenny Allison, in the back, who will be standing there handing them out to you, is a copy of the McShane Bible Reading Guide. It's helped thousands of Christians. May have even helped you in your Christian life this year. It certainly has helped me. You can read the Old Testament once. You can read the Psalms and the New Testament twice through an entire year. And we hope that you commit to something like that. Copies will be available. The reading guide has been in the bulletin each week for you. It's easily found on the web if you'd like to download it from there and zoom in on it and enlarge it if it's too small for you to read. We've even listed several times in the Lord's Day bulletin other reading guides. It doesn't have to be that. But make your 2007 a year of reading and thinking and pondering and contemplating the Scripture. The reading guide is also included in the BCLR weekly prayer list. We're also going to be including the Proverbs each month this year. We're also going to be including some Scripture passages each week for memorization purposes. And for you, for my ministry to you, I've done two things. One, I've taken just a one sheet of paper front and back, 50 books on a bibliography on the Christian mind. Several of you have asked, give me some books, give me some opportunity to read on this matter of the Christian mind. And I've made 100 copies and put it on the information desk and that's available to you. I I did this because I want us to develop our Christian mind. I'm also in the next week or so going to take all of the 10 sermon notes that I've used in the pulpit and I'm going to make them available and put them on the web for you. So you can have all of these passages, so many more that I haven't given you, all for the purpose in 2007 of our development and our cultivation of our Christian mind. This is the least we could do for the Lord, isn't it? The least we could do. Let's bow together for the receiving of the Lord's table. Father, there is for us every opportunity to do the least we can do, if not the best we could do. And that is to read and meditate and study Your truth. To listen to good and godly material if it's on CD or DVD or something that could profoundly help us. Christian music that is good and Godly and the Bible that is in audio format. Lord, whatever the way that we can read and listen and ponder Your truth, we want to do so. Lord, I pray that these books and materials in this bibliography would be of such a help. Oh Lord, allow us, all of us, myself most principally, to continue to cultivate and develop a Christian mind, not for pride, 
Not for arrogance, not for saying I know more than someone else, but for humility and service, for growth, for sanctification, for the painful process of our having our minds renewed out of an ugly and filthy world. Lord, I pray that as we receive Your table, this will be a, a wonderful and blessed way to usher in the new year and new resolve to read and study as we know we should to develop our Christian mind. We do so in Your name. Amen. Trust you'll have a wonderful New Year's Eve and New Year's Day tomorrow. Thank you for being with us this morning. We ask that you would go and pick up some of these materials. Obviously, I'm not expecting for you to go out and purchase 50 books on the mind. But if there is within those 50 something that you would see, or if you want to ask me which one of those would you recommend as over against the others, I'd be glad to help you with that. Help you in any way we can. Our elders are here to meet and greet you. They're here down in front. Others will be in the reception. I'll be in the reception area. If you're a guest or a visitor, I'd love to meet you. If you are a regular part of our fellowship and you have some relatives or friends that have come to be with you and you want to introduce them to me or some of our other leaders, please do that. We'd love to do it. To greet you in the name of the Lord, we're so thankful. One couple who are very precious to me, Jimmy and Karen Albright. Jimmy, where are you? Jimmy, you come and close us in a word of prayer. Jimmy is a pastor in Italy, and he is a dear brother, and the Lord is doing a great work in that place. They are having to add pastoral team because the Lord is bringing people their way, and I want you to know and love this brother as I do. Pray for us, my friend. Let's pray together. Who is a God like you, O Lord? Majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders on the earth. Oh God, we rejoice that you're our God and that you love us. That you have redeemed us from our sin and from ourself. And that we have everlasting joy in our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for these moments to hear your word proclaimed. Father, to be fed, to be encouraged, to be emboldened, to be strengthened, to be fed. Oh God, I thank you for this place and the men and women here who love you and magnify you, not only here, but around the world. Oh God, I pray that uh, each one of us in this room would give ourselves wholly unto you in the new year. Father, that we would put down our sin and our selfishness and our self-absorption and, oh God, we would walk with Christ. We would walk as sons and daughters of God. Lord, thank you for these precious moments together in your body. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.